Welcome to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I'm here with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Hello. Good morning. And Dr. Brian Goff. Hello, Brian. Hey, Sheila. I wanted to do a couple of, no, not just a couple of, I wanted to do several episodes just because we've had so many questions from listeners that want to go a bit deeper on each of the topics we've already had. And if you didn't get to hear our episode with Courtney Haumeister, I would say go back to episode one and listen. She she goes so deep into what it's like to be a person with anxiety. But I just kind of want to talk about anxiety and go deeper on ways that people can work with their anxiety when it does show up. So like, I don't want to do this as an interview. I want to just have your thoughts as a doctor about the different kinds of ways that you say anxiety presenting in people and who, uh, who succeeds and what are they doing to succeed to cope with it? If we could start there. Yeah. And maybe not just us as doctors, but us as human beings, because we yeah. also like, I don't know about you, Brian, but um, like last year, one time I experienced anxiety for, like, so, for yeah, like a second, for like a second. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I really, I covered that. I fixed it. Fluffed your aura. Ooh, yeah. But, you know, I did that one time. So well, I might be able to say something. But, about but were it. you ever a kid who had anxiety? I think most people who have it understand they have it from the time they're very young. I was anxious about I wouldn't say I was like a worrying kid, um, but I definitely did. I had really bad nightmares as a kid, so I had that kind of anxiety. I wasn't I wasn't much of a worrier, though. Yeah, yeah. Brian? Yeah. My distress has a little less energy to it. <laughs> <laughs> My go-to is probably um, sad. Uh, more than more than anxious. Yeah. But I mean, like, sure, I have anxious moments. In fact, we're sort of recording this thing a few minutes later than we anticipated because my neighbors are moving and the truck was in the way and I couldn't get my car out of the driveway. And so ironically, I'm realizing that I'm going to be like 10 minutes late and my brain is like, oh my God, you're going to be late. You're going to set back the whole schedule. We've got all these things we're supposed to do. They're right. going to think you don't take this seriously, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Like I'm prepping for my talk on anxiety <laughs> by freaking the out about getting there on time. So but, sure, yeah. But but Sheila, I guess that goes to your point about what to do about anxiety. You yeah. know, for so long, um, psychology and the mental health world sort of promoted this idea that we had answers to help you be less anxious in your life. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Brian and I, we both have PhDs. We are behavior change experts. Right. And if one stupid thing, like a neighbor's moving van, can get Brian all worked up, like maybe it's the case that this is not some pathology, but rather this is what human minds do. My mind does it. Brian's mind does it. Your mind might do it as well. The Dalai Lama's mind does it, exactly. according to him. Exactly. I mean, he was like, right. we, we're all going through the same stuff. It's just how you choose to cope with that's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so the idea there isn't like, how do you fix this thing that's wrong with your brain? But rather, how do you cope in a world where your brain responds with anxiety? Yeah. yeah. I loved the point that you made one time, Jenna, about anxiety in its best form is excitement. It's that rush of love. It's this, you know, feeling we get before we walk out on stage when we're ready, when we're like yeah. heart pumping and a little bit of sweat. And and then in it, at its worst, it's so crippling that, you know, people throw up. They have horrible 
stomach distress. They literally have panic attacks because they think they're, they're, about, they think they're dying. And yeah. it is as real a feeling as the excitement, right? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And so I, I guess I just want to start with kind of the generalized anxiety. What have you seen work for people, Brian, when, when they come in and they're like, I'm getting increasingly more anxiety ridden about this thing? Yeah, well, with generalized anxiety, you usually see just that. The anxiety gets really generalized across a variety of domains of a person's life. So yeah. it may be about this one particular thing, which, of course, happens all the time. Uh, but then it kind of bleeds out into other stuff. I I think um, one of the – I think we'll probably – loop back to this over and over again, it's really about sort of normalizing this experience because mm -hmm. people have anxiety about X and then they have anxiety about their anxiety. Like, oh my God, I'm broken and I need to stop this and it needs to, something's wrong with me and I need to make it go away. And if you don't have that, something's wrong with me, I need to make it go away. Yeah. Then you don't have the Anxiety about the anxiety. And is the anxiety about the anxiety often worse than the actual anxiety itself? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So even like in the case of panic disorder, panic yeah. attacks are awful. They're scary. Yeah. They're, they're really, really distressing and uncomfortable. But if you think you're dying or you think you're going crazy or you think you're having a heart attack or you think that you're losing your mind unless you can make this thing go away your distress about having another panic attack, Yeah, m most people with panic disorder will say that distress is worse wow. than the actual panic itself, wow. right? The sensation is really, really unpleasant, but the sensation is not dangerous. If you believe that the sensation is dangerous mm. and then you're like, I can't have this sensation, it, 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 like I have to somehow prevent it. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing just sort of shrinks your world because it's like, I'm not going to go places where I might have a panic attack. It's going to be humiliating if I have a panic attack. Right. It's going right. to be, you know, um, it's just not going to be survivable. And then you have all that extra anxiety. So you start to almost limit your life because of the fear of what's about to happen. I'm going to share that I had uh, uh, several panic attacks after my late husband died and had never had a panic attack in my life before. I was so concerned about like, he was. He left us hundreds and thousands of dollars in debt, and I thought I was going to lose the house where I was taking care of my daughter. He didn't leave us kind of a plan for how to move forward or a note or, like, giving us any sense of that it was okay, we were going to be okay. And so I was actually worried about my own mortality, sure. and I thought I was going to die and then my daughter would be left alone. And so I started having these thoughts about, you can't die. You have to be okay. Nothing can happen to you. You're the only person there. And I would get to the point where my heart was racing and I started wearing a heart belt monitor, 210 beats yeah. per minute, wow. you know? Yeah. And the only thing that saved me was that my sister, who is a Buddhist priest, had taught me years and years ago how to meditate. And it was something I didn't need to do because my life was fine and I exercised and blah, blah. And in that moment, I said, if I can just get through this moment, I'm going to take every moment one time. Yeah. So all I did was say, at this moment, I'm going to survive this. And then the next moment, I'm going to survive this. 
mm-hmm. and then the next. And I strung together enough successes of that that I actually taught myself how to meditate. Yeah, that is, uh, there are two things I really love about that story that, first of all, you're not minimizing, oh, it's just a panic attack. You're not dying. It's fine. You are having a really unbelievably unpleasant, terrifying experience, but you're only having it in that one moment. That's and right. you're taking it one moment at a time. Right. And that makes it more manageable. Yeah. And the other thing about your story, Sheila, that is so beautiful to me is that can you see in that that in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your pain, it tells you something about what matters most to you. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so if we can also see that anxiety as a as a cue to the things that are most meaningful and matter most and what you actually want to pay attention to in your life rather than avoiding anxiety. That's right. It 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 can actually be a little bit of a gift in that way. Don't you think though that like the listener is going to say, Yeah, but Sheila was at risk of losing her house. She was at risk of being in financial ruin. It's like there are legitimate things to be worried about. As opposed to, you know, when I've got the the little mold that they do the impressions at at the dentist yeah. and you are uh, 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 for like five minutes. Yeah. And you think like, like this is intolerable. I'm going to drown. I, to my knowledge, no one's ever drowned in their own saliva <laughs> while at the dentist. Like that's. Like, I feel like they make you come very close. Right? However, like, like, is this right? a little bit like yeah. waterboarding? And but the thing, but the thing is, is like it's like that's not part of the informed consent. Like, well, you might you might die doing this. Like, right? That is a really uncomfortable sensation. But the threat is just a very uncomfortable sensation. Your situation is such that people will say, "Well, wait a second. She can't just breathe her way through this. These are really serious concerns. And I, I think to me, that's when we have to run the the issue about the emotions that we're feeling through the filter of, does this help me or not? Because a lot of the anxiety that I will feel, like this morning, getting ready and running a little bit behind and seeing the truck out there was like, ah, and that made me kind of hustle through some stuff, yeah. cut some corners, which sure. if this is being videoed, you'll see that I cut some corners. <laughs> and uh, and like and like kind of like be kind of animated about like I need the drug out of the way. Yeah. Right. And at that point, but but it, there reached a point where it was like there's no more to do. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Now my anxiety isn't ramping up my response. Uh, like the wheels have lost traction, mm. right? And and then it's like you can feel the slippage, right? Like, um, and now I'm just sort of spinning, spinning if I get there. And that's when it's like, okay, this I've done. I've done what I can do. Mm-hmm. Breathe. Yeah. Breathe. And all the stuff that your thoughts are telling you, thank you, mind. Yeah. And even if all of that happens... I will get on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. I can get through this moment. Breathe. Now, I wasn't so concerned about being late that I was concerned about I will get through this moment. Yeah. But it's like when you're running for a plane that might be late, the anxiety gets you to run. The thoughts of what if, what if, what if, what if, I'm not sure that that's helpful. It's like, yeah, I will deal with that when the moment comes. And, you know, to your point, I think it's really important when people go, uh, on the one end, I had a garbage truck. On the other end, my late husband dies and I'm left hundreds and thousands of dollars in debt. 
On the other end, you're a victim of war, rape, genocide. I mean, it, the comparison of circumstance does not matter yeah. because your yeah. anxiety yeah. and your mind and what your circumstance is, it, it's all so personal. Yeah, I, I appreciate you making that point because I, I certainly agree with you, Brian, that sometimes like it's just a matter of breathing through your anxiety and then the dentist is going to take the thing out of your mouth yeah, and, you're you're not gonna fine. Yeah. and you'll be fine. Yeah. And sometimes you got to get through the anxiety and then say, okay, how do I call my financial planner to make sure that I don't lose the house? There That's are right. things to do. But I think the very, at least from my perspective, both in dealing with my own anxiety and in the people that I serve, I think the very first thing to do is this idea of how do you want to treat yourself, this person mm -hmm. that you have a relationship with, given that she is feeling so anxious right now. And the way I think about it is I think about my little niece. Well, she's not so little anymore, but, yeah. but I do think about her when she was littler. Yeah. And I think about, yeah, the things she might get anxious about. Maybe I have a different perspective that ah, I probably don't need to be anxious about that. But how in my best self do I want to respond I want to respond with, oh, yeah, honey, you are anxious. I'm here. We'll get through this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after the anxiety has sort of subsided a little bit, then you can do the, okay, is there anything to actually do here about this situation? So good. But the comparison thing, I have just seen too many people in my life and my clients just drive themselves, you know, just and make themselves mad with saying, oh, but it could so be, be so much, much worse. worse. Yeah. Right. And the that's just is not helpful it's at all. It's unkind. Yeah. 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 Because you would never say that to somebody you care right. about. Yeah. Because then I think what happens is you, I mean, maybe for some people they feel less anxious, like, oh, good, not genocide. You know, yeah. but I think for the most part, it's like, I still feel anxious and now I feel really shitty about the fact that exactly. I'm right. anxious. Yeah. Exactly. Because like, look at me, I'm so weak. Yes. Or I'm broken because I'm complaining about this and now I just feel guilty and anxious. And the reality is, is like, you know, you look at you look at the magazines that tell us all about, you know, the rich and famous and the movie stars and the musicians and all of that sort of stuff. The people who have all the money and the fame and everything and they struggle. You know, they're getting divorced. They're going into rehab. They have anxiety and depression and not because they're messed up, but because they're humans just like us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that this was so helpful on the personal, like how you can think about your own anxiety. What I want to talk about is if you're a loved one of someone who is having an anxiety attack, a panic mm -hmm. attack, this sort of increasing creep of anxiety because it tends to do that. I have seen so many people like, you just need to pull it together. Like this, you don't need to be uh, freaking out right now. And they, they're triggered. You see their anxiety level grow, you know, growing. And what I keep thinking is that that no, calm the fuck down. Like <laughs> there is so much need for somebody to calm the situation when somebody is starting to spin out of control. And it's so hard if you're triggered by yeah. someone else's anxiety to do that. So let's give people some ways if they're the partner, a loved one, a parent of someone who is suffering. What are some of the just rules of the road? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the, I, can I just interject, though, yeah. that, like, I think when people do that, when they're like, you got to get a hold of it, or here's a thing that I suggest you do so that you fix your anxiety, so that you make it go away, that comes from 
in the in the loved one's mind or in the friend's mind, that comes from the very common idea that the normal way to be and the okay way to be is not anxious or not sad. And so I'm, you're anxious. I'm going to tell you something that will give you a little bit of perspective. Hey, at least you're not dying, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And then you still feel stressed out. Yeah. And now I'm like, well, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I told you what I, I mean, you're on your own. Right. There's, like I now I'm kind of like a little bit pissed that you won't take my advice and you don't feel better. And now I sort of feel anxious that you feel anxious. And if, if I could somehow say, of course you do. Yes. Of course you do. And that's okay. But in order to do that, Brian, I, let's say it's my partner who's feeling anxious, I have to be okay with my discomfort. Oh, totally. And my pain right. at seeing my loved one hurt. I have yep. this really beautiful story I have to share with Please you. I share it. it. Yeah. I share it with my clients all the time. So my partner's at one of the local pools here and he tells the story. He was there and there's this little kid, maybe like two or three at the deep end of the pool and he's got his little water wings on and he's on the edge of the pool and my partner says he's just like crying. He's look, He looks like he's going to wet himself and there's a guy in the pool, supposedly his dad, yelling at this little kid oh. saying you're not anxious you're not oh. anxious wow and yeah i mean maybe this guy's just an asshole but probably he's a dad who really wants his kid to not be anxious to not be scared yeah right. and he can't handle his own feelings to see his kid scared mm. so now he's putting it on this little two or three-year-old make me feel better right yeah. so i make often, me feel better just jump in right yeah. right so <laughs> i often terrible. think about that as of course you want to not say oh you're anxious so you don't have to learn how to swim but you want to be able to say yes you're anxious and i'm here and I'm going to help you through this thing. Yeah. The first step is in recognizing mm -hmm. your own level of anxiety. Absolutely. Your own ability to have discomfort or not have exactly. it. Exactly. And then what that tricky relationship is with that person that you can't actually let them be an individual with their own thing going on. It's exactly, on, yeah. you know? exactly right. That's you know, hard. Jenny, you, Jenny oh. you said, and I'll be there right at the end. You said, and I'll, and I'll help you walk through this thing or I'll help you yeah. with this thing. The thing that you're going to help with is not the anxiety. No, 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 right? no. That's Correct. the thing. Is it's like once we get your anxiety under yeah. control, then everything will be okay. Or yeah. once we get your sadness now, and once yeah. you don't feel, you know, you feel sad about something in your life. So let me try to put a positive spin on it, and 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 then things will be okay. No, walking with means living your life. This yeah. and the stuff that you care about. Exactly. Yeah. Swimming in the pool, yeah. learning how to be an anxious person, how to feel anxiety, and swim. Yeah. You two have both talked about the real necessity to have the building blocks of health in place before you can begin to cope with any of these issues. And one is sleep. The other is moving your body. And the other is good nutrition. Big three. So if anxiety is keeping you up at night, how long do you let it sort of spin on you before you just say, I'm out? I'm taking a Tylenol PM, I'm taking a Xanax, I'm taking whatever it is the doctor said, because a lot of people just go the medicine route. Mm -hmm. The doctor said, I can just knock myself out with this. What should, where do you stand on that? 
27 minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but what I mean is if it's like days, right. no, days no, I get what of you're no saying. sleep, right? I get what you're saying. You know, it is a, it's a problem. I mean, sleep becomes the thing that sort of chases its own tail kind right. of thing, yeah. right? And, and it is tough. And the more you don't sleep, the more anxious you... And then you're like, God, now I just feel super anxious about going to bed. It, yeah. You know, I have two thoughts about this, and Jenna, I'm super curious. I should have just been like, this is a great question for Jenna. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, just quiet for a couple seconds, and then Jenna's like, you know, let me tell you a story. It's no, 28 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I have two thoughts about the whole mm, trying to get to sleep thing. Yeah. I, I tend to think to myself in those situations and with others that I think like, one is the stuff that's in my head is important and I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to push it away. At this moment, the most skillful thing, the most helpful thing for me to do is put it on the shelf. It will be there tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. No question. Right. I and mean, if, if it's it, not, then it's not hallo- actually a problem. Hallelujah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, my experience is it's always there on the right. shelf. Yeah. So it's like put it on the shelf. That's this the time right now, the thing to do in this moment. You know, I remember when I first started, like a bookmark in my brain, this couple of things, but when I first started working, um, I was seeing a client and she was aware that I was finishing up my dissertation. I was working days up at the Portland VA on my internship. And I had also just recently purchased a house that needed a lot of work. Yeah, And I remember her saying, because I self-disclose a bit when I work with folks, she said, I don't know how you have time to sit here and talk to me because you have all those other things to do. And I said, as if like God whispered it in my ear, I still remember, and I just felt it like it just came up out of nowhere. And it's not because I'm Zen-like, it just sort of, it was my truth, was actually I don't have all those things to do. I mean, I do, but in this moment, Mm. I have only one thing to do. Wow. And that's to talk to you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And when this moment is over, then I will have All something else. All the rest else. of those then things I'll, to Well, do. then I'll have one. I'll have whatever the yeah. next one thing is. So that's the one thing. The other thing is, if I don't make sleep the goal, but I make rest the intention, Yeah. then it's like, hey, if I don't fall asleep, I don't fall asleep. But I'm going to lay here, and I'm going to feel my spine decompress, yeah. and I'm going to notice the sensations of the sheets on my skin, mm-hmm. and the pillow on the, my head and what it sounds like when I roll my head over, um, focusing on the sensations, being in my body and just enjoying the rest, whether sleep comes or not. Mm. And then with regard to medication, I tell folks who are wrestling with that question, I say, look, when I have a headache, I take, I take Tylenol mm-hmm. or I take ibuprofen. You know, I'm not like categorically opposed. It's when I have to chase those things and getting there becomes the goal. If I'm coming into the studio yeah. and I have a headache to do one of these recordings, I'm going to take something for my headache. But I'm not going to sit in my car and wait for my headache to go away yeah. before I come in here and do what I care about doing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a great way to it's a great way to put it. Yeah, and I, and I would also add to that. If I have a headache, I might take a Tylenol. If I have a headache every single day. And I'm just taking Tylenol every single day to get rid of my headache. Sure. Might want to go to the neurologist and see if something's going on that's producing headaches and change that thing. Right. And so what I would say with sleep is everybody 
everybody has disruptions in their sleep. This idea that the normal human adult totally. always gets eight hours of sleep is just a myth. Yeah. And if you're somebody who's struggling with this on a regular basis and it's interfering with your life, please, please, there is a really effective behavioral intervention called CBTI, Cognitive Behavior mm -hmm. Therapy for Insomnia. It's super effective way more effective and with less side effects than using something like Ambien on a regular basis, which is really, really problematic wow. in a long, in the long, in term. the long term. Yeah. In the long term, please go see somebody so that you can work on things like sleep hygiene so that you can get into a better rhythm. So yeah. I just want to, um, kind of wrap up with eventually the end of what happened to my panic attacks was that, I went into an acupuncture session and um, this woman said to me, how are you doing with your grief? And she put her hand on my head and my body broke open in sobs mm. that were mm -hmm. so deep. And so I realized part of what was happening in my body was that I actually wasn't feeling the real feeling of what needed to happen right then. I was compartmentalizing into, sure. okay, if I make another phone call and if I call sure. this person and if I do this. And what I really needed to do to take care of myself in those first few weeks was grieve. So I wonder how often anxiety is because we're not attending to the real soulful, deep part of ourselves that's saying, I'm hurt, I'm afraid, I, I'm feeling so alone. Yeah, one of the ideas about the functions of anxiety is that um, even though it's a really unpleasant feeling, at least it's this active feeling. It right. kind of gives you the sense of, look, oh, I have lots of things to do, even if it's I just have lots of things to worry about. That's right. And if that goes away, again, one idea about anxiety and how it might be related to depression is at least it might feel better for you, like you have more control than sinking into the feeling of sadness, sadness. or depression. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. I completely agree because yeah. the, the sadness is uh, energyless. It, yeah. it is, yeah. it's, it's not helpful in our society. It's not helpful when you're trying to keep a job yeah. to have depression. In some ways, anxiety is right. at least a doing type mechanism, yeah. correct? Yeah. Such yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some data to say that anxiety and depression have have huge overlaps even in the experience of it. It's just that, that anxiety is energizing. Yeah. So fascinating. Anything else that you want to add? I love doing these. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did. Yeah, this is really, yeah. this is really fun. I guess I would just say one last thing with that piece. And with the sadness, it's the same strategy as with the anxiety. Can you simply be with what you have at this moment? At this moment, and yeah. then it will be different at some other moment. Right. Yeah. But when we talk about the depression, mm -hmm. just because Jenna said that, still just tune in because we've got more to say. Oh, we do have <laughs> a few right. more things. Don't give it away. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Brian. Go be anxious about your moving car. Jeez. <laughs> ah, ah. Thanks for listening to Beyond Well. Um, if you like us, please give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. <laughs> Check our website at beyondwellwithsheilahamilton.com. And we're so thankful for the support of the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care. Ba, ba, ba.